Are you tired of your valuable ideas and suggestions getting lost in the shuffle? Well, that is why I'm introducing Direct Suggest, the revolutionary digital suggestion box that puts your voice front and center. With Direct Suggest, you have the power to make a difference in your organization. Direct Suggest provides value to organizations in various industries worldwide, including notable brands like Comcast, TD Bank, and Nokia. And here's the best part. Direct Suggest only costs 50 cents per employee per month, making it an affordable solution for businesses of all sizes. Plus, they have an incredibly high ROI and savings potential with an average 33 times return on investment. The implementation process is also a breeze. Once committed, setting up Direct Suggest from start to finish can be completed in as quickly as a week or less. Don't let your ideas or your team's ideas go unnoticed. Visit directsuggest.com today and start by making a difference with Direct Suggest. Use the promo code HUMANHR for your extended 60-day free trial. Again, visit directsuggest.com to learn more and remember to use promo code HUMANHR for an extended free trial. Direct Suggest, where your voice matters. Welcome to the Bringing the Human Back to Human Resources podcast. I'm Tracy Chernoff, and I've spent my entire professional career in HR. Each week, we'll explore the delicate balance between people and business with the aim to reconnect the two and create meaningful outcomes. Listen in as I share my own experiences, challenge the status quo, and chat with guests from various industries about our mission to bring the human back to human resources. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here for another week. I am very excited about today's topic because it dives us back into employee well-being, and we're going to talk with no better expert than a medical doctor, Dr. Richard Safir. But just a quick housekeeping note before I even jump into uh, Dr. Safir's bio, I just want to let you know that I am recording from my parents' house in New Jersey, and I am dog-sitting. So if you all of a sudden are watching the video and you see a dog pop up or you hear a bark, I apologize in advance, but he is very cute. His name is Peanut, so feel free to become a fan. But anyway, let's let's dive into uh, Dr. Safir's bio. For the past 20 years, workplace health pioneer and thought leader Richard Safir, MD, has assessed cultures, trained leaders, and conducted ex- and explored research on the intersection of individual and organizational behavior. Dr. Safir currently serves as the Chief Medical Director of Employee Health and Wellbeing for Johns Hopkins Medicine, where he leads the Healthy at Hopkins Employee Health and Wellbeing Strategy. Previously, he was the Medical Director of Preventative Medicine for Care First Blue Cross Blue Shield in Baltimore, Maryland. In January 2023, with publisher Wiley, Dr. Safir released A Cure for the Common Company, a well-being prescription for a happier, healthier, and more resilient workforce. And if you're watching the video, you see I have the book right here. Dr. Safir is the first author to provide a step-by-step roadmap for creating a well-being culture that integrates science with practical solutions as demonstrated by the numerous real stories from successful companies. He's a fellow of the American Academy of Family Medicine, the American College of Lifestyle Medicine, and the American College of Preventative Medicine. He serves on the New England Journal of Medicine Catalyst Insight Council and previously served on the board of directors for the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. Dr. Safir, Richard, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thanks for having me, Tracy. I hope we do get to see Peanut. We have uh, <laughs> we have a Cami on our end who I don't think you're going to see, but we'll we'll find out. You know, one day I'll have to do like an episode that's like a bring your dog to yes. podcast day or something. That's right. He, well, he's an old man now, so he tends to like sleep most of the day anyway, yeah. except for when I 
take him out. I can't say the W word walk because otherwise he'll freak out and, and then I'll just have to stop recording and we'll have to go for a walk. Oh, that's good that, that uh, he understands the word walk. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's like his favorite activity. Um, and it's, you know what, it's good for all of us. It gets us yep. out. Absolutely. Well, there's your first example of what we can be doing during the workday. It doesn't take long, five minutes to get up. Not only is the movement good for us, but getting outside with fresh air. Really yes. easy tip right, right off the bat. You know, I didn't plan that uh, anecdote, but I like that you brought it back to this. And and actually, I think it's the perfect segue because your book, I, I have to, I've said this before on the podcast that I'm really not a self-help reader. I'm an avid reader, but mm -hmm. I, I don't typically reach for self-help books, but I have to say your book did not feel like a self-help book. It actually felt like a book that was not only giving me problems and solutions or answers to questions, but it was truly like a roadmap. I felt like I was going through this journey, like what you typically would experience in a story. So thank you for the way that you wrote this book for those of us who maybe don't tend to gravitate toward books like this. Well, thank you for noticing, Tracy. I, I worked very hard to make it read more like a pleasure book, but uh, weave in how the workplace can impact our health and what we can do differently to make sure that our job and our workplace is a force of support right. and not a source of problems for our health and well-being. Right. Absolutely. And you really, you know, I'm sure that as the listeners get to know you over the over this episode, for those who do end up reading your book, I think they'll see that your your personality is really um, very eminent in the book throughout the pages. At least I felt like we were yeah. having our conversation from before while reading. So I think yeah. it's really well done. Well, well, I'm I'm glad it came across that way. I, I've been writing a family letter every you know holiday season for 20 years, wow. and um, I write it as if I'm you know giving everyone a slice of our family's life. And it's not all the great things that is happening. I weave in the challenges and I decided it's, it's very well received. And I decided, you know what, that's the way I write. So that's mm -hmm. how I'm gonna come across to the audience here because uh, I read books, no one likes to be bored. And so <laughs> I decided I'm not gonna bore the readers. There we go. And that is much appreciated. So again, for everyone who maybe didn't catch that in the in the bio, in the introduction, the book is titled A Cure for the Common Company, A Wellbeing Prescription for a Happier, Healthier, and More Resilient Workforce. And so I'd love to kind of start out with where the inspiration from came from to write this book, because you do really weave in the medical understanding yeah. and the implications of a lack of a healthy workforce yeah. while kind of ma marrying that with the challenges that workforces really have today with, around employee well-being. Yeah, I've had a very interesting career. Um, I'll, I'll just start by saying I studied nutrition in college and that is not the typical background for physicians, at least back when I graduated. And so going from uh, nutrition education to medical school and then to residency, I chose a path in family medicine because I liked everything that I saw uh, in medical school. And, and um, I was in family practice for just two years before I realized, hey, you know what? Um, most of my patients are showing up here you know, running from their job to the doctor's office and back to the job, and they didn't have time to take care of themselves. They had kids and 
every reason to not be able to help themselves, including that they didn't understand how to help themselves. So I realized, hey, I could be making a bigger impact if I were to help employers support the health and well-being of their workforce, because that's where we're spending most of our time, most of our waking hours. Mm -hmm. So from private practice to academics at George Washington University, where I continue to learn about the impact of employers on employees, I ran an occupational medicine office. I worked at a large health plan, Blue Cross Blue Shield, to understand the payment side of this. And now I lead the employee health and well-being strategy at Johns Hopkins Medicine. So Tracy, the inspiration is having seen this problem from multiple angles and concluding that the biggest challenge that we all have is making sure that leaders at all levels and employees understand what they can do differently to weave health and well-being through the workday. It's not that we need more programs. It's not that we need more benefits. It's how we move through our workday. Right. I absolutely agree with you. And this reminds me of a page that I just um, pulled up because I had noted this. Page 60, you talk about the social climate climate and the chapter is called oh the weather outside is frightful yeah. and actually for everyone listening like this is the this is the type of energy that you would get from the book it's you know it's lighthearted but also you know serious in the sense that health is really important and something to take seriously but something you write here is the social climate is akin to the weather over a long period of time when it's mostly sunny out we're more likely to feel happy upbeat and energetic a little rain one day isn't so bothersome, but if it's cloudy every day, we can start to feel depressed. And then you continue on by saying a good social climate is also good for the organization. Research that goes back 50 years shows that a good social climate positively impacts the organization in improving recruitment and retention, enhancing trust, increasing resilience, and lowering the cost of doing business. And, you know, when I see this and I see all of your um, footnotes as well with all of your citations, this is probably the the thing for me that set your book apart from other books that I've read on similar topics that you really cite every single piece of um, information that you're referencing. So it's easy for the readers to really understand that this is not something new. It's not something that, that is just, you know, a figment of your imagination. Like there's yeah. proven and backed yeah. research here. Um, but I like this. I, I'd love to dig into this idea of the social climate because one of the things that it made me think about was how the social climate was impacted by COVID. For those of us who started working remotely, the, the social climate was whatever we had in our homes potentially, or whatever we managed to figure out virtually. And for those of us like yourselves who were you know, on the front lines, the social climate took a, a bit of a backseat, I would imagine. Yeah, I, I first want to start with the <laughs> the title of the chapter. So, you know, I I am not shy about sharing a little bit about myself. You know, sometimes my mind works in music, and uh, in, in fact, um, sometimes during the workday, I'll you know something will happen and it'll remind me of the lyrics from a song. And you picked up one reference to music uh, that's in the book, but there's several others. Um, mm -hmm. I, I do try to kind of make it fun. And the second piece, uh, before we get to the actual social climate uh, conversation, is about the citations. 
you know, it, it was uh, and still is very important to me that I cite uh, where I'm getting information from and how we're making decisions because, you know, too, too often people make decisions about employee health and well-being based on their own experience. And they think that just because this is the way they're going through their work life, everybody else should go through their work life this way as well. I think that's a mistake. I think people who are put in the position of either leading a team or making decisions for their entire organization need to make their decisions based on the uh, wealth of research that's available. And, and Tracy, I, I feel proud of the book for that reason um, that you mentioned, is that everything's cited and, and people can feel confident that what they're getting is not just opinion. It's uh, based on published research. Uh, now, social climate um, and COVID, yeah, huge hit. And, and there's still, it's still implications. And I, I don't know when those implications are going to level out. Um, and it's the implications are for people who are still working remotely. The implications are for those who are hybrid. The implications are for those who are in the workplace. Um, we really lost something, not only because of the pandemic, but because of those years, there was simultaneously um, civil discord uh, within our communities and in the national conversation and in the global conversation. There's these two underlying currents, um, and we can't separate the two because uh, and, and that's another message. We really can't separate what's going on outside of our work life with our work life. And we'd be better off if we could uh, acknowledge that and figure out how to best navigate how the two work together. Mm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I'm sure that there are listeners that are totally sick and tired of hearing about COVID, but the reality <laughs> is that I bring it up. I'm sick time. and tired of it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure you are. Um, I bring it up so often because, you yeah. know, not only uh, is my husband a, a medical doctor also, and so it impacted him in a way that yeah. is not even relevant to me in the sense of like what I could imagine. But it also impacted me personally because as an mm -hmm. HR person working through COVID, yeah. like I was just texting actually a former colleague, like one of my very good friends, that we're still, you know, we use this yeah. word traumatized, but still traumatized yes. by the impact yes. that it had. And this is definitely pervasive in yeah. the, the workplace cultures around the around the globe, but especially probably in the United States. Yeah, like hug your human resource professional <laughs> today. <laughs> Ask for consent first. But right. but really, I, I don't think it's um, a far fetched word to use for many people traumatized because it's it's left a scar and in, in whatever you know individual way. Right. Um, but from a you know you know the book is written so that it can it is not a flat out self help book, um, Tracy, no. as you mentioned. But there is a box in each chapter that helps one reflect on their own well-being right so so we we have to face reality uh and know that um work we are looking at work in a different way right now right absolutely and you know thinking through the the tenets of your book one of the takeaways for me is that this 
this concept of weaving or the importance of weaving in well-being and like really routines around wellness. That's kind of how I took it away that these routines, when you invest in yourself can commit to a better or contribute, I should say, to a better overall workforce. And the more everyone contributes to themselves, the better the environment is for every single person, you know, around them. And one of the things that you had mentioned in um, the friends and family plan chapter is this idea of willpower being a bad strategy. (laughs) And it is a bad strategy. And this, this concept that you shared around, you know, many people eating regardless of whether they're hungry prompts for eating overeating abound right it's a concept that we all know well enough right we're humans many of us stress eat or stress under eat and we have you know just a relationship with the world around us that can become uh, evident in our and our lifestyle in our routines some people don't go to the doctor for 10 years because they say they don't have time right all of these things are not yeah. lost on us But one of the things that I kind of walked away with after reading this chapter was this idea of instilling a set of principles for yourself. And like you said at the beginning of the episode that Peanut wanting to go out for a walk around the block is good for me. It's it's good for him. And it's a five to 15 minute, maybe 30 minute activity that really invests time and wellness back into my day. Yeah, uh, you know, food is... um is a topic for for most of us i mean with um one third of the workforce being overweight and one third being obese two thirds of people are probably trying to watch what they're eating at any time and most of us are just doing it ourselves and that chapter the friends and family plan um that that is about peer support and that is about not you know, giving yourself permission to work with your colleagues, your coworkers, to address the healthy habits that you're trying to achieve or getting rid of the unhealthy habits that you're trying to lose. And the data bears out that we are much more likely to achieve that healthy lifestyle and achieve positive emotions if we work with our colleagues, our coworkers, and our family. Uh, and, and there are strategies in the chapter um, for how to do that. I don't believe that I mentioned pet, pets <laughs> in that <laughs> chapter, but I do mention pets in the book. You do. You do indeed. And I thought about all the dogs that have kept me active over the years yeah. uh, growing up and, and things like that. But, um, you know, thinking about these six building blocks that you reference, um, you know, throughout the book that ultimately lend to shaping the the culture like a well-being culture Uh within an organization it brings me back to something that you said at the beginning of this recording that you don't always have to have all of these programs and and bend over backwards to create new events and new things it it makes me wonder like is there something that you would recommend today as like the most important tool or strategy that a company can leverage to instill well-being within their culture to ultimately drive forward this type of, um, you know, positive takeaway for the employees. Absolutely. Um, the, the most important thing I'm convinced is to get managers at all levels involved. What knowing their role in supporting the health and well-being of those they lead. Now, Tracy, 
you, you asked me earlier about the inspiration for writing the book. And the inspiration after 25 years in this space is, this is the missing key. And so the book was written for a human resource audience as well as leaders at all levels. And, uh, uh, you know, this, this sounds a little bit self-serving, but the one thing that leaders who are listening to this podcast can do is read the book themselves, become convinced, and then ask other leaders on their team to do so. Tracy, I, I created a book discussion guide it's basically questions for each chapter because um, as it will become apparent in chapter one, I acknowledge that each organization is different and the concepts throughout the book are applicable to every organization and it would be easier and you'll get better outcomes if leaders read this book together and then have a discussion about how to address the challenges they face. That's yeah. the most important thing that a listener today could do. It's a really great point because, again, this is where we're seeing this interwoven reality between wellness and the workplace, that you're coming from a medical background and I have an HR background. And immediately I'm thinking about how when you get the buy-in and the appreciation from leaders in an organization, it's really the best way to affect a top-down response yeah. to whatever initiative yeah. it is that you're looking to to roll out. Yeah, I, 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 I want to make sure our audience knows, I report to the Chief Human Resource Officer at Johns oh. Hopkins Medicine, yes. Now, I, I, st I stopped seeing patients two years ago, but, you know, prior to stopping my patient care. I was only seeing patients a half a day a week for like 10 years. And um, I, I will also just share that uh, I speak at human resource conferences. I, I don't speak at medical conferences anymore. I, I used to. Um, but really, you know, probably five to 10 years ago, I started speaking at business conferences and HR conferences because you know, what's happening, uh, Tracy, is, is folks in the field of employee health and wellness are speaking to each other. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, hold on a second. We're all speaking to each other. We're all nodding like, yes, we, we need to be speaking to our HR colleagues. Absolutely. And so um, I, I do think at this point in my career, I consider myself uh, an HR professional I was with an MB degree. Are. Yes, yeah. you're, you're like the doctor of HR. Oh, well, that's a, <laughs> an interesting tagline. You know, I, just one more thing, Tracy. You know, this um, this was so important to me to connect with um, my HR colleagues. That one thing that I'm very proud of uh, about the book is that the Society for Human Resource Management uh, reviewed the book, and it's now awarding continuing education credit for wow. those who read it and fill out a couple of questions on their on their platform. If your company is remote or hybrid, then you know just how difficult it can be to grow your company's culture beyond a pre-scheduled Zoom happy hour or occasional lunch and learn. Well, this week's sponsor is here to solve that. They're called CultureBot. CultureBot has devised what will likely become the gold standard for growing and blossoming a company culture inside of Slack. 
The app is like a sidekick for any HR or people professional, automating a lot of the mundane tasks you probably are forgetting to do on a daily basis. Things like birthday and work anniversary celebrations, team shout outs and kudos, employee introductions and remote games. It even has health and wellness tips and conversation starters. If that piques your interest, this will get you even more excited. Today, I'm able to share a special promotion for listeners of the podcast. You can get your first six months of CultureBot for 50% off. Plus, if your team is under 25 employees, CultureBot is free forever. So if you're looking for a way to create a culture of appreciation and drive increased engagement and togetherness across your team, I definitely recommend checking out CultureBot. Go to getculturebot.com slash humanhr. That's getculturebot.com slash humanhr to get the offer. Plus, I've added the link in the show notes, so you can just click right there. Now, let's get back to the podcast. Oh, that's really, really great information to share, actually, because so many listeners are enrolled in the, you know, the SHRM certification programs or looking to receive certification credits. So that's actually a huge incentive for everyone to pick up the book and, and read it. And actually, again, I, I'm, I, you know, the listeners at this point, they've been around the block with me for a while now. They know I'm not going to endorse the book if I don't really believe that it provides, you know, solutions and a deeper understanding of the challenges that we all experience in the workforce. And the book really does a fabulous job of, you know, solutioning these things. And, you know, when I think about my own role not only in HR, but specifically being an employee engagement for the company that I work for, it's hard. Like I was, I remember reading the one anecdote about when uh, it was a Hopkins highlight when uh, Healthy at Hopkins started and, you know, that it, it kind of started the same way all of our programs start, lunch and learns, walking lunches, you know, d- different things to connect everyone and, and also take some time out of the day. And I was like, you know, every company is different. Every business is different, but we're also all very similar in that we start in this one place because we recognize that there are these challenges and we want to do something that maybe doesn't feel like a super heavy lift to get the workplace to be more connected and to dedicate ourselves to more well-being routines or initiatives. And then as you go on throughout your career, like I'm thinking, I reflected on my own that you try all of these things and organizations respond differently depending on where you are. But then also there's this individual responsibility that we all have to commit to ourselves that, oh, well, you know, I have to instill these these, uh, programs and practices in my own life because it matters to me whether or not the organization cares about it. And that's, you know, at the end of the day, of course, organizations should care about well-being and health and wellness. But if there are certainly organizations that don't. And so it's important, just as much as it's important to get every leader on board to to enable execution of a well-being culture, individuals, I think, also have a responsibility to instill that within their own lives. Do you, do you agree with that or? Oh, absolutely. We, we can't rest on somebody else doing <laughs> our health and well-being for us. And I, I think the, you know, we, we each are capable of doing that to the degree at which we're in a supportive environment. And since we spend most of our waking hours working, that supportive environment needs to include our workplace and our team. And um, 
it's just an underappreciated aspect of employee health and well-being is building this well-being culture on the team level and the organizational level. Um, I mean, I, I think that readers will conclude along with me once they finish the book how much of our health and well-being is dependent on those around us and that if we only rely on ourselves, we'll never reach our optimal state of health and well-being. Right. This comes back to the peer support and the yeah. friends and family plan chapter that you that you wrote. That's it's true. I mean, it's yeah. true. Well, th there's that chapter. It's also the social climate chapter, which rests on, you know, um, whether or not we're in a positive working environment, whether or not we feel like we're working together towards the same goals. It rests on the be a better boss chapter and uh, or how to be a, the best boss. And, and there's all these different relationships in the workplace and um, how they impact our health and well-being in a different way. Um, it's it's uh, it's actually a it's actually a complicated social science um, uh, arena, which I you know can I attempt to convey in a much more simple, direct manner so that it's easily consumable. Right. Absolutely. You know, when I think about the Healthy at Hopkins initiative and strategy, I should say, that you um, have led, my one of my questions for you is actually how you've seen the organization evolve, especially since yeah. it is a, you know, it's a, yeah. a healthcare, right? Like yeah, we're talking yeah. about all people who are who are dedicated to and impassioned by healthcare. How, how has the Healthy at Hopkins initiative or strategy, I should say, changed the workforce in your, in your perspective or from your perspective? Yeah, so I, I joined in 2012 and um, the program apparently started in 2007. So when I joined, I did some research. I looked at old presentations. I talked to people who were part of that. Because when I joined, it was, you know, um, a couple of HR leaders, uh, a wellness vendor, a faculty member, just, a, you know, the insurance plan. And they, they weren't organized and they each had a different agenda. And honestly, no one, uh, no one <laughs> had like the understanding of the science behind it. And so... We've come a huge way, you know, we put a roadmap in place, a long-term um, strategic plan. I, listen, it takes a while to get out of the gate. You really need to be patient and understand, hey, it could take us six months to create our three to five year strategic plan. And you really need to have an infrastructure. Don't just jump to the webinars and the lunch and learns, have a long-term plan. Tracy, we've, we've uh, you know, not to, to consume the rest of the podcast, but we have a multi-dimensional strategy in place. Yes, we have benefits and programs, but that is a small portion of our strategy. We have changed the work environment. We have invested in leaders at all levels. We integrate uh, employee health and well-being into our orientation, into our benefit plan, into our learning and development strategy. Uh, it is an integration process into our, our uh, workplace culture. Are we perfect? No. 
Every day brings new changes for Johns Hopkins Medicine and for most organizations. Anytime there's a new employee or a new manager, and in our case with 40,000 employees, that's every day, there is an opportunity to reinforce what we're doing or do better. Um, and we have to just recognize there's, there's no end goal. This is an ongoing strategy that, that cannot be um, accurately reflected all the time in a checkbox. Right. No, it makes perfect sense. And, you know, I, as you were sharing this, I was thinking about this recent trend. I don't know if you've heard about this, and, and I'm probably going to do an episode on it because I have some thoughts. But this trend, I think it started on TikTok called the lazy girl job. And uh, it's something that I just read about today. And um, I was like really taken aback and offended, honestly, by the name of the trend, lazy girl job. So I'm like, what is this implying? Essentially, the trend is about how um, Gen Z is saying, I'm prioritizing work-life balance and I'm not going to go after the job that doesn't enable that for me. And it might feel like, that's a lazy attitude or you're, you're doing less, you're working less or working less uh, hard, quote unquote. And so this sense of laziness might feel, it, it might uh, prevail in the attitude because compared to Gen X, millennials and, and boomers, whatever other generation ahead of Gen Z, that this is like a change in the culture and a change in mindset and attitude my perspective is that lazy is like a terrible word to attribute, especially preceding girl. Um, but it's an interesting trend because at the core of it, it's basically saying a lot of what we've talked about today that employees, and we see this a lot with Gen Z now, um, especially because I think they are changing the tide of the, uh, of the country in many ways uh, in workplaces, that work-life balance is no longer a benefit, but rather a requirement from employees. And so, you know, how do we navigate this? How do workplaces navigate this? But it's, I don't know, I guess it's a trend because on TikTok, everything goes viral. And uh, the person that coined this term was saying, I'm stepping back and I am, I'm going to do the job that I want to do. And I'm prioritizing my life over everything else. And, and that's that. Yeah, so uh, I'm not on TikTok. Uh, I, I actually, I actually was featured once on TikTok, unbeknownst what? to me. Uh, I found out on LinkedIn <laughs> that someone made a TikTok video with with my book, and that was oh, wow, really that's funny. Really cool. I was able to show my kids and tell them, "Look, I made it to TikTok." <laughs> um, you know, I I am grateful to the younger generation for making work-life balance a priority because so many people in, in my generation want it, but that's not the norm in my right. generation. So norms are the expected behaviors of a group of people. And because uh, the post-college uh, uh, graduate generation is demanding it, employers are having to adjust for it and they need to treat everybody equally. And work-life balance plays a huge role in our health and well-being. Now, in regards to the, the, the lazy thing, I, you know, I, I, I 
my understanding is that people are just trying to get their name out there on TikTok, so they'll do mm-hmm. what they need to do to coin a phrase. Mm-hmm. When I think of someone working eight and a half hours a day, uh, you know, half hour lunch break, that's a third of our day. It's half of our waking hours. Uh, that's a full-time job. I, I wouldn't consider that lazy uh, myself. Unfortunately, um, either they are using that for marketing purposes or they're feeling some type of uh, pressure from uh, the cultural norm in their community. Mm-hmm. Uh, perhaps that person was is, is living in a community where everybody's working really beyond the eight and a half hours. So, I mean, I, I think it's a I think I, I, I like your creative way, Tracy, of bringing this into the conversation. And um, any leader who's listening to this um, podcast probably already realizes it's a big deal. Uh, I think they'll find some um, help in the social climate chapter uh, for mm-hmm. ideas on how to bring work-life balance um, into um, a win-win situation for the employees and the employer. Yeah, no, it makes absolute sense. And I I agree. The norms are definitely something to be considered with this trend. And and it's true. I mean, we we see that uh, this idea of whether it's clickbait or quick marketing uh, headlines that really catch your eye and, you know, one minute video are, are what society tends to grab onto these days rather than really diving into where is this coming from? What is the context? And I totally agree that, you know, at, at first sight, like I said, I was like, I'm a little offended by this name. What, what does this mean? But then d- with a deeper understanding that it's actually doing all of the things that we all really want, we want to be able to have a successful career and a successful and harmonious home life. So it's really not such a bad concept. It's just a matter of how we maybe articulate it and understand where it's coming from. Yes, um, <laughs> that, that's right. I mean, the, the person succeeded in their goal probably, which is uh, I would to say go so. viral. <laughs> yes, I would say so. And yeah. apparently the, the person who did coin it is a 26-year-old yeah. influencer, and she's saying that she coined this in May. So, you know, to go viral in a few months is pretty good, I suppose. From uh, someone who's never gone viral, I think that's yeah. <laughs> probably pretty good. Um, yeah. But to, to wrap us up here a little bit, I just wanted to um, come to one part of this. I think it was one of your last chapters, Dinner is Served. Mm-hmm. Um, this idea that a job is more than a paycheck. Um, it's a really important concept and ideology to me because, you know, there's this one, you know, one on one hand, there's the perception that, okay, well, you know, a job is a job. I'm here to make money and I'll call it a day at the end of the day. And then the rest of, there are others of us, myself included, who see the job as more than that, that, you know, it's, it's natural to take work home with us because we care that much about what it is that we're doing or who we're affecting. And the first line in this part of the, this like sub paragraph or sub part of the chapter is purpose gives meaning to life. And you continue by saying, while money is needed to buy seed and fertilizer, Purpose provides the sunshine needed for us to grow. And you reference a study at UC San Diego where it found that people who felt that they had meaning in their lives 
were more likely to feel physically and mentally healthy, while those who are searching for meaning were less likely to feel that way. A sense of purpose can be anchored in family, community, a social cause, or your job. And I really appreciated this because I find that a lot of the things that I read often say, well, separate yourself a little bit, don't care too much, you know, at least for those of us that are not impacting people's lives in the yeah. sense of, you know, for yeah. example, being in healthcare. But I actually really appreciated that this chapter is kind of doing not necessarily the opposite, but challenging that ideal that it is okay to have so much purpose in what you do and the job that you're doing because of the way that it fuels our, the meaning behind our lives. Yeah. I mean, if you're lucky, your job will also be aligned with your purpose. When I say if you're lucky, you know, people have jobs for a lot of different reasons. I mean, I think one of the most common reasons why we have jobs is to put a roof over our head mm -hmm. and food in our stomachs. You know, on top of that, uh, I think it's reasonable for people to be searching for a job that helps them feel fulfilled uh, be because of the number of hours and because when we feel fulfilled, that's a layer of well-being that um, is not neat and tidy like eat your five fruits and vegetables a day. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a, you know, there, there's so many different layers of well-being that uh, most employers and most individuals aren't familiar with because who takes a class, who gets a class on well-being when you're going through grade school? Not right. too many people. Right. Um, Tracy, it's in the final chapter because it, it kind of, um, it's the culmination of what you know of what I think are you know some fundamentals that we need in the workplace, and the cherry on top is if you can also have purpose through through your job. Absolutely, that is the cherry on top, and what an amazing feeling it is to have that that purpose and, and that feeling of purpose when you are doing yeah. the work that you're doing. And I hope that you know the the listeners who are in HR or want to break into HR feel that they are, you know, scratching that itch, so to speak, and, mm -hmm. and getting the feeling that what they're doing is purposeful and that it, it does lend to, you know, what they want out of their lives because the work that we do in HR does require that. It requires some amount, a lot of actually, a lot of passion and purpose and looking at the bigger picture. And there are so many episodes that I've done about yeah. HR leaders who are just the example of what not to be. It's why I started this podcast. And those are really the people who don't have this feeling of purpose, I think, because it's, you know, they're, they're doing it for the job and HR is not the career to go into. If you just want a job, there's, it, there's too much at stake. You know, uh, I, I, I don't know that most HR professionals realize how much their work impacts the well-being of the people they serve. They may look at their wellness team as the ones who are doing that, but when we touch the employee experience, that's part of their well-being. If, if a manager is able to navigate some of the policies easily versus uh, having a more difficult time that influences their well-being so your listeners every one of them plays a role and and that to me is an 
that's an important job. You're impacting yeah. somebody else's health and well-being. Absolutely. I think this is a perfect place for us to um, say thank you to you for not only your book, again, for all the listeners, there will be a link so you can get the book too, but it's a cure for the common company, a well-being prescription for a happier, healthier, and more resilient workforce. So thank you for this book. And thank you for all of the insights that you've shared as well today that help us round out that reading experience. Well, I appreciate you having me here, Tracy. And uh, I didn't get to see Peanut today. <laughs> no, you wanna, maybe there'll be another episode <laughs> and I'll, I'll meet Peanut next time. That's right. That's right. Um, well, Dr. Safir, thank you so much again. Where can everyone connect with you oh. and what's the best place for them to buy the book? Again, it, it will be linked. Sure. Thank you. Well, richardsafir.com, uh, all one word, uh, would give you more information about how to create a well-being culture on your team. And wherever you buy um, your books, uh, uh, a Cure for the Common Company is available. It's also available on Kindle, and the audio version uh, is also available for those of you who like to listen to your, bo uh, your books. There you go. Perfect. There's a there's an option for everyone. Yes. Thank you so yeah. much again. We will have to have you back on as our, our, our resident doctor of HR, but also our our uh, you know professional in all things health and wellness and expert in health and wellness. Thank you, Tracy. Hey, just before you go, don't forget to subscribe to the show so that you are the first to hear when an episode drops each week. And maybe leave a five-star review and a comment about how much you loved this episode. Plus, if you have someone in mind who would really enjoy this episode, make sure you share it with them. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I'll see you next week.